Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Beth Ann. And this is Chrissy. And today we are so excited because we have Tina George with us and she is from our collective partner, Karen Treatment Centers. And Tina is here today to talk with us about student athletes and this specific group of kids and how they can be at higher risk of substance use and also how they may use substances differently. And substances not only being alcohol and marijuana and the like, but also caffeine and supplements and other things that you might be finding in like the vitamin store or GNC. Um, So as well as mental health challenges too. So lots to cover today and we're so excited for you to be here. So Tina, thank you, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always love uh, seeing you guys and and uh, being able to help out in any way I possibly can. Great. Thanks, Tina. And also just to mention um, for folks who are going to be listening to this podcast that they will also be able to see, and I know Christy will go over this at the end, but we, um, Tina shared um, this information as part of our parent speaker series with the Downingtown Area School District this week. So there's also going to be a much more detailed with PowerPoint slides, uh, information that would be available if you check out the recording on the Downingtown Area School District website or our CTC website. So we're making sure we're covering all the bases for for our (laughs) listeners. Um, So Tina, just to kind of get started, we always like to ask um, our guests if they could give us a little bit of their background about yourself and then also um, what motivated you and how you started the peak program that you're going to talk with us about today. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the behavioral health world in a variety of different capacities for about 30 years now. Uh, but uh, I've been with care and treatment centers in our education alliance where we're doing prevention, intervention, postvention services in schools. Um, and I've been there for 18 years, but I think it's about six or seven years now. Um, I was I was tasked with uh, trying to do prevention with high school students. And, you know, luckily we're in a situation where we're getting more prevention into schools at earlier ages, which then when you're trying to do it with high schoolers who've been getting prevention from, you know, kindergarten on up, it's like, how do we, how do we reinvent that message? And how do we get them to care about, uh, about that message? And so I thought, you know, maybe it's uh, trying to do prevention for high schoolers uh, based on their interests. And so I thought athletics is something I have a passion for my kids are our student athletes and I thought let me look into this more and and when I started looking at the research in terms of athletes and why they might be at higher risk for substance use and the way that they use substances I was absolutely all in and said we need to be in this space this is work that 
that needs to happen and it needs to be specific for athletes uh, because because of the dynamic. So that's what got me started. And it has steamrolled not just into prevention, but also wellness. How do we improve their lives? I, I remember one of my first presentations with a group of athletes and they were great and uh, took in all the information. Uh, and, and then one of the kids raised their hand and said, you know what, Mrs. George, this is all great information, uh, but uh, you told us what not to do. Uh, why don't you tell us what we should do? And I thought, well, that isn't that great too. So uh, that's when we started doing some wellness stuff as well and have really um, done some great work with athletes and, and, and it, they respond so well to it. I do like your, I, I like that a little, that, that additional piece that you add in is the, the wellness piece because, you know, as, as health educators, and you know, for me for like 40 years now, we just spend a lot of time with don't do this, don't do that. And we get, you know, kind of preachy about that. But I like turning it and saying, well, let's talk about wellness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to be healthy. You want to be at your peak. You want to be at your highest standards of performance. And so when we talk about sleep and we talk about nutrition and we talk about managing stress and sports psychology, all those things are wellness focused. And it's good to bring this piece in and say, well, that's this really goes against everything you're trying to do to, you know, support your athletic performance. So I like the more positive and versus the don't. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're seeing now in the media, we have so many more professional athletes talking about their mental health. And and so this is really spending that focus on trying to show them that, you know, it's not just about being at your peak performance from a physical standpoint, but it's also from Mm -hmm. a mental standpoint, uh, because their their schedules are are grueling schedules. Uh, They're putting themselves through a lot of stress and anxiety. to, to compete at high levels. And so we have to, we have to take care of that part too. So uh, much more uh, societal uh, acceptance for this Mm -hmm. kind of work as well. Absolutely. So Tina, what makes athletes at higher risk for substance use? Because it also feels kind of contradictory because we think so often, well, if my kids in activities and sports, they'll quote unquote, stay out of trouble and it'll be a great protective factor. And this is also something in prevention, as you know, that we say, here are things be involved in things, be involved in your community as a protective factor. So what is this unique thing that makes athletes at higher risk for substance use? Yeah, that's really, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We tell kids, get involved. And if you get involved, that is your protective factor. And, uh, and, and it can be. And sports absolutely can be that for a lot of students. But uh, we have to look at the dynamics for athletes as well. If you think about what makes athletes so great, it's those feelings of invincibility. <laughs> you know, they, they, there's no fear there. Uh, they're sensation seekers. They're looking for that rush. You know, I think about kids who are spend 90% of their time practicing their sport, but only 10% of their time competing, Uh, you know, so, you know, it, it has, they have to really love that part. That's what, that's what brings them back each year to play is, is the thrill of it, that sensation seeking. Um, And then also, you know, they are risk takers. And so when you think of those dynamics about what makes them great athletes, um, invincibility, sensation seeking, risk taking, um, it, it, that's also, what goes hand in hand with substance use as well. The, you know, this, I'll never let it get that bad. This won't happen to me. Addiction won't happen to me. Uh, 
it, not me. Uh, they, they love the rush, the feel of what that does or how it helps them manage uncomfortable feelings. Right. And, and they're, it's risky, it's risky behavior. So those, those dynamics um, are certainly present for, for our athletes. Uh, so that's kind of part of it, you know, but also when you think about um, for athletes too, some of the reasons why they might use substances to, uh, to choose to cope with different areas of their lives in terms of performance, stress around performance. Uh, you know, how do I increase performance if I'm injured? Uh, I don't want somebody taking my spot. Um, I need stats to uh, to get into college, I need to be visible. Uh, so I might want to try something that might help me, you know, work through injury or uh, or perform. Some, there's a lot of misinformation out there around how different substances might help increase their performance. Um, you know, and just those, you know, the, again, those 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 feelings of invincibility and and whether that's whether that's real or or it's perception or it's supported by their community as well. Athletes can be. Um, in, in very secure communities as well where they're protected and um, and that makes it seem okay when we send those messages that can sometimes make athletes a little more prone to do that because people are going to give them a pass if they're if they're taking those risks and that is like the number one thing when you're dealing with somebody that's struggling with substance use disorder <laughs> is enabling the behavior right and uh, making it okay mm -hmm. and like kind of smoothing out all the waves and so and how will that you know and I know we talked about this when we did our webinar but just can you talk a little bit about the cost benefit or kind of pros and cons of not holding kids accountable and what you've seen in your work oh yeah absolutely you know I've seen um I've seen lots of different team calls Cultures. And that's really what I'm looking at when I'm, I'm working with teams, like what what kind of messages are are being sent, whether that's directly or indirectly. Uh, you know, do we have a coach who is actively uh, making sure they're sending them a, a no use message for for their athletes like this will not be acceptable on my team? Or do we have a coach uh, that says uh, this is not I'm here to coach you know, football. I'm not here to get involved in any of that stuff. So, you know, what are the messages that are, are indirectly and directly being sent to, to, to athletes? And I've seen plenty of times where, you know, regardless of, of coaches intentions, um, you know, coaches who are very invested in their kids' lives, in their, their athletes' lives, or coaches who say, you know, that's not, that's not my role here, uh, where kids that are, you know, taking those risks and um, facing some significant consequences or that they're not being held accountable. I see that a lot as well, where we're just trying to get them to that next level, except this especially those exceptional athletes where we see that they have a bright future in athletics. And so we might be uh, looking the other way or making some of those natural consequences just go away so that we can just continue to get them to progress to that next level in, in the hopes that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll maybe get get it together one day or they'll 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 see the success and they'll you know they'll they'll 
they'll do great. They'll mature out of some of those things. And um, quite frankly, the the situations that I have seen, and of course I see them because that's, those are the situations I get called into, but um, you know, that looking the other way or thinking, you know, if we just get them to that next level, they'll, things will work out really well. And I don't want anything to be a barrier for them to, to be successful. Um, And really that backfiring and kids, you know, either getting, kicked out of school, uh, losing scholarships. Um, and, and unfortunately I've seen a, a lot, a lot worse than, than that as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, health issues, um, you know, incarceration of students as well, uh, because, and those behaviors didn't start in college. No, those behaviors no. started, started in high school. Um, hey, so Tina, just, um, just to follow up on this. I mean, I can certainly understand the adolescent and the athlete side as far as, you know, young adults and the adolescent brain and all of that. But what I also think I'm hearing now, and I thought of this after the, the webinar the other night, is equal to that and what can either, either, what can make it more difficult, I guess, for student athletes is really this, this culture piece. Mm-hmm. It's really the culture of sport in that community. Um, and where, you know, where sports fit in, um, how much, what's happening with coaches. I mean, it's, you know, and I coach, but I played sports, high school, college, I coached at the collegiate level. Um, and people can be really, really highly skilled in their particular sport. No doubt about that, but they're not all good coaches. And they're also not able to necessarily pay attention to a lot of things happening with a student athlete beyond just the skill level or coaching level, perhaps, of a student athlete. And I think, to me, is really a, a, a really complicated barrier because mm-hmm. you have coaches and you have um, that where their place is in the district or you know, in that community and the importance and the value of sport. But then I don't know how you change. I just don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. It it has to be a, yeah, it has to be a comprehensive approach, right? Because I'm talking about coaches, but you know, it is a community. It's a community like parents as well. What kind of messages again? And it's, it's what, what are you intending or what are you not saying too? like kids, you know, the, the, the passive response, I'm not saying anything um, or I'm not sending clear, consistent messages. So it really is some of the best programs that I've done is bringing coaches and parents together and also, I think one of one of my biggest goals is to simplify it as well for them, because I think they see substance use as a um, as a as a topic they just don't feel comfortable tackling because they're not up on the trends. Um, kids seem to have a lot more information about some of this stuff than we do. It's very sure. intimidating, and so I think there is. Um, you know, a, a, a fear of addressing it. What if I say the wrong things? What if I, you know, what if I don't have the right information? And I always try, like, I love bringing parents and, and coaches together to talk about it collectively. So like Mm -hmm. if we, if we, as all the adults surrounding these students are on the same page, getting the same information, then we can either address it collectively. um, And I also simplify it. You do not need to know the latest trends. You do not need to know what all these things look like, smell like all that 
that stuff is, it's going to change and it's going to change fast. And even if I try to educate you tomorrow, it's going to be different. So let's not waste our time. Let's look at the why. Why are kids using and why should we be Mm -hmm. concerned about it? And let's do something. All you have to do as a coach, as a parent is care, is care and say, you know what? I don't want this for you. I want to give your brain and your body the best opportunity to grow to its fullest potential and substances are going to disrupt that. And I don't know what it is you're using or how that's going to affect you. I just know that I'm concerned and I want you to get, I want you to get help or I want you to get the right information and get them to the right people. That's all you need to do. Uh, you're right. That That is the most important right. message. And yeah. so that for me is if I can take away mm-hmm. that fear of if I address it, are people going to be upset? If I take a position on this, is it going to be unpopular? Let's get everybody on the same page. Let's give everybody the right information. And let's also simplify this for you. You don't have to know all these things. You just have to know that the kid in front of you, their behavior is different. Their performance is different. Something's happening here. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to, I'm going to, all schools have student assistance programs in in Pennsylvania. Sure. Every single building has a student assistance program. It's anonymous. You can make an anonymous referral. You can call and make a referral about your child, about a, uh, an athlete that is on your team, and it stays confidential. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be right about it. It could, because we right. know it could be anything, right? It could be substance use concern. It could be a behavioral health concern. It could be something medical. It could be so many different things um, that are going on. Yeah. Um, but get it to the professionals. That's all you need to do is show concern and care and get them to the right people. Uh, But we have to empower people to do that. And so I feel like bringing coaches and parents together to talk about this is really, really significant. No, that's a really great point because I'm not, I think I like that conversation uh, because I, sometimes I feel that People may think there's something going on, whether it's with an individual student athlete or multiple student athletes on a team or something, but they're not comfortable. I mean, it's that whole thing. It's like mental health. I'm just not really comfortable bringing that up. I don't want to be the one Mm -hmm. who brings that up. Maybe no other parents are feeling this, but probably they are. I mean, that's why that just non-judgmental, open, we're not blaming anybody here. We're not, Mm -hmm. but can we all get together on the same page? Because clearly you know, we obviously are here for these kids, you know, yeah. we, and, and take all of that away and have that conversation. Cause sometimes I think people on one hand may be really surprised to find out what's going on with student athletes and another people are like, yeah, we know mm-hmm. we knew that we knew yeah. that all along. Yeah. They're not surprised. They're not surprised. Yeah. Right. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to hear about how student athletes are using substances differently and what substances they're using. So we'll be right back. Hey, Chrissy, how are you? Hi, Cheryl. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for the parent to parent groups to start up again. I'm excited to see everyone. I know me too. Almost everyone that attended in the spring said they would be returning too. So what are some of the topics this year? We have some really good ones planned. Our topics include sibling dynamics, family culture, balancing the busy, and more. I'm sure it will inspire some great conversations. And it's still every month starting in October, right? Yes. Each group meets once per month from October to May. Okay. Where do I go to register? I need to do this right now so each session is on my calendar. 
Go to dtownctc.org and click the Parent to Parent tab. If you select groups, you'll find the details. Perfect. I'm registering right now. I can't wait to see everyone. Me too. I'll see you real soon. Okay, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about about student-athletes, but we'd like to um, ask the question, how are student-athletes using substances differently than their non-athlete, you know, peers um, in in their high school setting? Yeah, so um, again, you know, in addition to, you know, just – high schoolers in general, you know, is that that genetic influence? What kind of messages are they getting from from parents? Any peer pressure, um, lack of education, coping with mental health issues, all that's present for athletes. But in addition to that, it really is like, are they trying to increase performance because there's a lot of bad information out there? Are they coping with an injury that they need to they need to play? They do not want to be sidelined for that. Um, We see some using for uh, weight loss or trying to get Mm -hmm. in shape. Um, and then just that, again, those feelings of I'm untouchable, you know, I can, I can use, and I'm not going to be held accountable. And, you know, you know, is that part of the culture of my team? Is there even an expectation of it is, you know, are we, you know, having a game on a Friday night and, and, you know, somebody's social hosting afterwards. So, um, you know, there's there's lots of different opportunities for them to use, but also um, different reasons than their non-participating peers. Um, Coping with stress and anxiety as well is is huge. Um, There's not a lot of research on high schoolers, but there is a lot of research on college students that shows about a third of college athletes uh, identify with moderate to severe levels of stress. And when you think about it, um, you know, just that pressure to perform at high Mm -hmm. levels um, while you know, handling academics, handling grueling schedules, they have very little control over um, time. This is true for high schoolers as well. Um, You know, they're they're in practices five, six days a week, then competing, dealing with academics, all the other things that they're responsible to doing. And so when they get those moments of time where they get to decide (laughs) what to do, um, they're often looking to distress, to let loose. And, you know, substances, depending on the culture of that team, might be the thing that they do in their free time. So, um, again, it's it's uh, it, it can be real cultural for them as well. What would you say are the main substances that kids or that students, athletes, kids are? I mean, I'm sure that it over it's the same as all students, but what do you it see? Really most of, yeah. What do you yeah, what are the trends I mean, that you're seeing? I mean, the number one thing that I think um, we don't give enough importance to is caffeine. You know, we are talking to a Starbucks generation. Hey, I'm guilty. I am guilty of this. Um, and quite frankly, my own personal student athletes, my my own daughters are it's I preach to them all the time about, uh, you know, their caffeine intake. Uh, but when you think about caffeine, it's something that elevates heart rate and blood pressure. It really kind of affects every system of our body. Well, you're doing an activity that's elevating heart rate and blood pressure. So when we're talking about about like in you know significant caffeine intake um, that can really uh, be very dangerous for for athletes. I mean, I have seen athletes using caffeine powder and then having 
been taken to the the hospital because their heart's racing, their their elevated heart rate, things like that. Um, you know, that's not typically what we see. But again, it is a very risky combination, and and also caffeine dehydrates. So. Um, there is nothing worse than, a, than dehydration for athletics. It, it's going to affect your your performance. You're not going to endurance uh, strength. It's it's going to um, make you more prone to injury because you're not going to be out. Your muscles aren't adequately hydrated. So that's a real dangerous thing for athletes. So what we do recommend is no um no caffeine four to six hours before practice or performance, but um, that's not an easy <laughs> to get our athletes to do. We want them to drink water, electrolytes, things like that. And they're marketed to so much with all these caffeine things. Cause even my, I have my fifth grader, he's like, was last summer, was obsessed with the prime drinks that came out because oh, it was yes. from, he's like, no, I'm like, that has caffeine in it. You can't drink your 10. You don't need that at all. And <laughs> He was like, no, but not all of them have caffeine in them. Like, it's fine. And but also so I, we, I did let him try one, but it has all these other like tw- like different things that, that minerals and supplement types of things. And I'm like, you don't need this. Fine. Let's take I knew he wasn't going to like it, though, because we don't <laughs> he doesn't like Gatorade. We don't drink like juice, nothing. So I was just like, yeah. OK, here, take a sip of the non-caffeinated blue raspberry whatever and he was like yeah yeah i don't really like it i'm like hmm, okay we're done with this now like that's it right. but also it's expensive those things are super expensive <laughs> and they're, yeah, but they're mostly. marketed to because it's not just the starbucks it's also you go into wawa like i can't even uh-huh. find anymore my like poland springs raspberry <laughs> seltzer water because it's all been replaced by just a wall the whole section yep. of all the yep. different energy drinks and it's not only red bull it's just there's so many and they all have crazy flavors and they're bright colors and Absolutely. they have celebrities and a lot of times celebrity athletes. Cause I think it mm-hmm. was a professional athlete that was behind the prime drink who I think was maybe a mountain biker or a cyclist or something. I could be wrong. I'll look it up and put the correct no, fact a, in the show notes. Well, that would be a thing. Yeah. yeah. But my son yeah. is very into mountain biking, very into yeah. mountain biking. So it was yeah. like a no brainer. It's like, oh, I have to try this because this person does this and whatever. So yeah, they're yeah, marketed to marketed ho- so have marketed to kids and and specifically athletes, you know. Yep. So um, yeah, you know, I always go tell that story about uh, you know, it started with Serena Williams, unfortunately, yeah. back and I think it was I think it was 2015 where she was on the last set of one of her matches and uh, she asks for an espresso and they and they gave it to her. Uh, it wasn't a violation of the rules, so they brought her this espresso and uh she ended up uh coming back and and winning the match and and it just sparked this from that on it's it sparked all these caffeine related uh uh you know, things for athletes. And, and the reality is, is like caffeine will give you about five more minutes of extra energy followed by extreme lethargy. So, so, and, and yeah, just fatigue and, and dehydration. So she used it as uh, I mean, it, it is, it helped her. She had about five minutes left and she ends up winning the, the match, but um, you know, it sends this message that, Oh, well, caffeine before performance is going to, you know, is going to improve my, my performance. And the reality is, is it's, it's not, 
not going to do that. Um, so it's going to actually fatigue you and dehydrate you. So uh, we want to really kind of watch their caffeine intake. So that, so caffeine is the number one uh, <laughs> abused substance in, in athletics or just the country in general. Probably, yeah. um, I, I do want to talk about supplements a, a little bit too, because that, I mean, although that's not something they necessarily abuse, but these things are not FDA regulated. They're not intended for anyone under the age of 18. Um, you know, pro, when it comes to uh, protein powders, things like that, we want to make sure like kids are getting protein through their food. <laughs> you know, a turkey sandwich is going to be far better for them than that that protein shake that we're making with some of those proteins. And, you know, again, these things are not regulated. Um, I've seen a lot of kids in college be uh, fail drug tests, uh, drug, drug screens, because um, they were taking a supplement and there happened to be an amphetamine in there, um, a, a synthetic steroid in there, and they had no idea it was present. So, you know, in, in general, we don't want them taking them. Mm. But the other thing is um, there is a governing body around these called NSF for sports and um, and they have a specific logo look it up um, and make sure that if you if, if you yourself as adults or anyone is taking them if that logo's not on it you shouldn't be taking it it's it's uh, oh. it's pretty dangerous stuff um, so so um, nicotine I mean I don't know that we really need to go into why <laughs> why yeah. if, why nicotine would uh, affect performance negatively I mean I think you know, whether and we don't see a lot of kids smoking anymore, but, but certainly the vaping epidemic is real and athletes yeah. are are just as engaged in it as anyone else. But, you know, that's inhaling an, an aerosol. If you kind of like open up your mouth and breathe in, yeah. you know, some aerosol, like I think about when you spray like an air freshener and you walk yeah. through it, right? You kind of like you swat it away and you're like coughing through it. Well, that that's what Vaping is basically throwing that right into your lung. It's damaging our air sacs. It's coating our lungs. Um, the the chemicals in them were never intended to be in your lungs, and so we're seeing significant respiratory issues, not uh, short term and extremely uh, uh, concerning long term. So uh, that that and 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 nicotine is a stimulant again. So you know, just like caffeine, elevating heart rate and blood pressure it's going to do the same thing for our athletes. And we don't want to do that right before they yeah. go to practice or, or uh, playing a game. So nicotine obviously is, is something that we as parents and coaches should really be talking to our, our athletes about um, and definitely a popular one. Alcohol. I, I've had a lot of athletes talk about, um, using alcohol to help them sleep at night. Hmm. Um, you know, that they're really having a hard time transitioning after games or, you know, uh, I come home from practice and now I have to study and I'm under a lot of stress. I have a test tomorrow. I have a game on Saturday and I'm, I got to perform well and I'm just under, and then just really uh, in their heads, having difficulty falling asleep. Um, alcohol, uh, is one of those substances that some of them have access to and can um, utilize to help them fall asleep. Um, so, uh, and then there's, there's the celebratory component to alcohol or just the, you know, the social norming around alcohol that, you know, Hey, all teenagers do it when in reality, no, they don't, uh, you know, about 30% do it, but um, there's a whole host of kids who choose not to yeah. use alcohol, That's which is a much greater percentage, but that belief that everybody does it and we're all kind of okay with 
it. Um, we, we should not be right. And in addition to what it's doing to their, their developing brains. Right. But for athletes, um, you know, I don't see a lot of kids showing up for practice under the influence, not that it hasn't happened, uh, yeah. but that's a rare situation. Uh, but, but there's this phenomenon, uh, with alcohol called post-acute withdrawal where alcohol is such a dehydrator that um, it takes you 48 to 72 hours to adequately hydrate your rehydrate your body after that last drink you know it takes about five hours to metabolize alcohol but about 48 to 72 hours to um to rehydrate so during that period of time it's a very uh you know important time for athletes they're going to have reduced strength uh, reduced uh, workout capacity, um, muscular endurance is just not going to be present. Um, and they are absolutely at risk of injury because their muscles aren't adequately yeah. hydrated to support their activity. So um, alcohol is very bad for athletes in performance. It can really uh, change a whole a whole season for a kid uh, in terms of their ability to, to perform at a high level. So um certainly want to keep that on our agenda. And then, um, and, and what I want to say about, uh, alcohol and sleep, yes, alcohol makes us sleepy. Uh, it, it, it does. Um, but it doesn't help us get a good night's sleep. Um, alcohol does not let us get to stage three and four sleep, which is what is needed for athletes, uh, to, to repair and rejuvenate muscle tears and tissue. Uh, so they won't get there on alcohol. So, so athletes who are using that to help fall asleep, they're actually uh, making themselves more susceptible to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's definitely dangerous. And then um, cannabis, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, regardless of what your position is on cannabis, um, we know from an athlete standpoint, uh, there is, absolutely no performance enhancing potential that cannabis it, despite what they might be reading <laughs> in the news it's it, just not true um it, it, it absolutely has no performance enhancing potential for them it is going to impair mm-hmm. their hand-eye coordination slow their reaction time uh distort perception um you know it's going to reduce their exercise capacity it's it's going to affect their respiratory um, system. It's going to increase their fatigue. Um, and, and I also worry about kids who um, are using cannabis or athletes. And then, you know, we have ACL and uh, ACL tears, things like that. And they're going under surgery for different yeah. issues. And to have cannabis in your system and going under anesthesia is extremely dangerous. And athletes who aren't, aren't reporting that. And, and again, athletes who say I use cannabis to help fall asleep as well. Yeah. So that's another thing. Um, and, and just like alcohol, cannabis will not let you get to that stage three or four sleep uh, that you need to, to repair. And, and, you know, we always in athletics, every time you practice, you're getting little muscle tears. It's just part of it. Um, and that's our time to, to rejuvenate and repair those little tears so they don't become bigger injuries. And yeah. so uh, alcohol, cannabis, those different substances are, are not going to let that happen. So, uh, which is very, very needed for our athletes. And then I think um, Tina, you also had mentioned on, on the webinar, the point about opioids and, ju- you know, again, for kids who are injured, kids who need surgery, and then that delicate balance of the opioids for immediate use, for pain management, however, 
there is that slippery slope. And then also other students knowing that you, you know, other athletes on the team may have access to, to opioids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, again, when we talk about what makes athletes, um, uh, great at their sport, um, uh, you know, opiates kind of is feeding that for athletes as well. There's a, there's a definite connection there, um, where, you know, opiates really hide the perception of pain. Uh, so, but, but what they also do is elevate mood. Uh, it increases the production and absorption of, of dopamine. So when you think about an athlete, I always say their sport is their drug, you know, that really? that's what gives them endorphin totally. rush, an endorphin rush. Um, and, and when they don't have their sport, any parent who's listening to this and has had an injured athlete, um, they are, um, like, uh, caged animals, right? You're they're they're irritable. They are. You'll see signs of depression and anxiety in athletes who are sidelined because of injury, and so that's a very critical time. And if they're being prescribed an opiate during that time, I mean, opiates are designed to work, uh, and there's a, a high addictive factor to these. So it, it doesn't take long for people to become addicted to opiates. And so if I'm an athlete who um, is now experiencing depression, anxiety, irritability as a result of not being able to play my sport and I'm taking a substance that not only is going to help me feel better and cope with the pain, but it's also going to elevate my mood and make me feel better. Yep. They oftentimes get addicted to the feeling of the opiate totally. because they're, they're struggling to manage the, the, the mental health part of that. Um, and so it's, it's like hand in hand. I mean, it is a, a tale as old as, as time, how many athletes who become addicted to opiates and again, not intended to use it for a high mm -hmm. intended to either work through injury or to manage the, the mental health component of their injury because they're getting that dopamine release that they're not getting from playing their sport. So it's a real dangerous time. And as uh, parents of athletes, I encourage you to communicate that to, to doctors uh, mm -hmm. to say, Hey, my kid's an athlete. Um, I want to get them off of this. Uh, Cause I'm not anti-opiate, you know, there is yeah, that, right. that time after a surgery yeah, or after absolutely. a severe injury that they might need some assistance better than what, what we can over the counter to manage that pain. But we want to be communicating. We want to be getting them off of that very quickly and, uh, and, and helping them to figure out other ways to man in healthy ways to manage that, that mental health component of it. So um, real dangerous times. And, and Bethann, what you had said too, um, kids know kids who are, who are seeking it because As, yeah, I, I am in pain. I've injured myself. I do not want to sit on the sidelines. And I know my friend just got his wisdom teeth out. Yep. I wonder if he has any that I can just take a couple just to get through. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if your kids are uh, prescribed that, get rid of it. Yep. <laughs> get rid of it as soon as it's lo no Absolutely. longer needed. Yep. So, so, so we don't have other athletes who are, are seeking it. Mm -hmm. So, Tina, just to wrap up. So what are things that parents can do to support their kids when it comes to sports and wellness. I mean, I think a lot of these things also apply in general to kids that aren't necessarily, you know, super high achieving or serious, you know, athletes in high school and college, but what are some things that parents can do besides well, making sure all, that they're watching those opioids <laughs> and right, take, right. Well, I, and taking yeah. them away, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, number one is understanding that, you know, because I think it is a surprise to a lot of parents to say, well, I, I have them in sports, so they must be safe. You yeah. know, that 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 is the protective factor and recognizing that that it can it can be but it can also be a risk factor for them so just to create that awareness being understanding that your your child might be more susceptible to use for a variety of different reasons that um that non-participating peers don't experience so that's number one and i also think talking early and often you can it's never too late it's never too early to be talking to them about why you don't want them to use and really come from that place of care and concern like i want you to grow up to be the healthiest version of yourself, both mentally and physically. Um, and I know that substances can disrupt that. And I don't want to take any risks with you. Um, it's important. I care about you. So sending that message, teaching, uh, teaching refusal skills yep. to your kids is, is, is one of the best tools we can equip our kids with. And I think as athletes, parents of athletes, we have the best ones to say, Hey, tell your friends you got practice early in the morning. You yep. can't use tonight and get out of that situation. Or, um, you know, Hey, my mom's going to be waiting. And I, you know, or I, you know, my coach is, is really honest these days. I can't, I can't not be, you know, a hundred percent tomorrow when I show up for a practice. Like there are some really built in great excuses totally. to get out of if you are offered by teammates, by other peers. Um, so having those refusal skills, but practicing those have that kind conversation like hey you're going out with your friends tonight what if somebody offers you something what are you going to say i'm going to say i have practice at 8 a.m tomorrow i'm sorry i can't um and and get themselves out of that so um you know practice that and and prepare them ahead of time so that you know i think that's a lot of the reasons why kids use for the first time that they're uh, being offered something and they they don't know what they they're not prepared for the yep. situation right um so let's let's prepare them um and then just promoting healthy coping skills instead of negative coping skills eating well um getting a good night's sleep doing doing things together as a family um and and really you know spending healthy time with your kids um, and getting them to do make healthy choices are really things that we can we can do as as parents um and and, and then of course if you have concerns you know talk to your pediatrician talk to the school counselor uh, make a referral to your sap team and and get some support and I feel like that coping piece is a really big part of this because it is such a number one reason why people of all ages will start using a substance and misusing and abusing substances because they need something to, they might ha not have other skills or other outlets. And especially, and I was thinking about this after we did have our event earlier this week of just, you know, you might have a kid that that's all they do is eat, live, breathe this one sport. And then they have maybe really hard academics on top of it. And so, you know, maybe God forbid there's an injury or something happens and that sport gets taken away. Maybe in the other times there needs to be some nurturing of like, well, what are your other interests? Like, yes, you're a football player or you're a basketball player, but do you also like to do, you know, hiking or kayaking or art or photography. Like, I don't know, just other things so that there's other outlets and their identity isn't so yeah. full focused and heavy on one thing that that just ramps up that pressure. Well, yeah. And you know, when you look at 
this statistically, uh, you know, there's 8 million high school athletes, there's 520,000 college athletes, division one, division two, II, division three, that means 6% of those athletes that play in high school are going to get the opportunity to play in college. So it's such a small percentage that are going to continue with that career beyond high school. And yet they all think they are. Um, oh, yeah. Sadly, you know, they all think that that's their goal. But I think you're right. Like, let's make sure that there are other things. And I, I know, um, as a parent of athlete, that's, that's really hard to imagine. Yeah. But even even those are things that you and your child can do together, you know, walking the yes. dog, volunteering somewhere, like, let's just kind of broaden that spectrum a little bit, you know, just so we can make sure that, you know, they, they know how to care for themselves beyond their sport. So that's, that's very insightful. And, and I think we can do it in small ways because I think it is overwhelming to say, how do we add that one more thing? But right. honestly, you know, my daughter was a three sport. My daughter was a three sport athlete. She's a division one soccer player. Um, and she played piano her entire, it was, it was this out, it was a coping skill for her. It was that one thing that she could just sit at the piano and play. And, and that I, I, I that was a huge coping skill for her and it, it didn't take a lot of time uh, for her to do that. And it's something that she loved that was just completely different, separate from her sport. That's great. Tina, thank you so much for coming back and chatting with us again. We fit a lot of information into a small amount of time, awesome. but we did it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I always appreciate uh, spending time with you guys. So where can people find you if they're looking for your information? I'll link that up in the show notes, but where, where would you direct people if they wanted more information about you and about the peak performance? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my email is tgeorge at karen, C-A-R-O-N dot org. Uh, that's my email. You can always um, you know, uh, shoot me an email and I'll send you some resources, but also, you know, love to have you check out our website at www.karen.org and you can backslash that to education Alliance and it'll take you to our, our prevention page and you can find some peak performance information there. And the name of your podcast that you also have, if people wanted to search oh, it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Conversations that matter. Uh, so uh, sometimes you have to put in the search engine conversations that matter, Karen treatment centers, because there's several that are titled yep. that, but yeah, absolutely. We look at all different behavioral health issues for students. I love it. It's so great. Thanks, Tina. This is great. Thank you very much for having me. So thank you everyone for joining us today. You will find information and links to everything we talked about in the show notes. Be sure to click subscribe or follow in your podcast app so you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. And if you're liking our podcast, we would love it if you would share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other parents find us. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye.